and then you can go wherever you want. (laughs) Can I go, it's the most penitential time of the year. (laughs) You absolutely can. (laughs) There'll be much fasting, almsgiving, charity, and (laughs) praying. So don't be of good cheer. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Now we need to write Lent carols. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would be so awesome. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 59. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are talking about Lent. Maria Von Trapp, in her book Around the Year with the Von Trapp Family, says that to see Lent as a gloomy time full of must-nots is a great pity because, quote, Lent is a solemn season rich in hidden mysteries, end quote. It is certainly true that how we observe Lent today in 2020 is vastly different from how generations of the faithful would have observed it in the past. Could it be time to rediscover some of these ancient practices and origins of our traditions? But first, we love bringing the Modern Lady podcast to you every week. It truly is a labor of love. All we ask in return is that if you haven't yet taken just a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use, we would appreciate you doing that so much. Your comments truly mean the world to us. This week's shout-out is another way-back review left by listener Lady Lead Better, who left us a five-star rating last year in January 2019 on Apple Podcasts and said, quote, The hostesses, Michelle and Lindsay, share pertinent thoughts and information for the aspiring modern lady, a woman who isn't afraid to embrace the traditional and dignifying roles of womanhood. I can tell they think about what they are going to say before they record their episodes as they stay on topic with a meaningful exchange of ideas. That said, this podcast is not stuffy. Lindsay and Michelle fire funny quips and share charming anecdotes from their personal lives. I'm thankful to have found this inspiring podcast, and I wish these ladies were my friends in real life. End quote. Thank you so much, Lady Lead Better, for your rating and your comments. It is truly so much fun for us and an honor to be able to share what we are constantly learning with you, our listener friends. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. With Valentine's Day having just passed and countless bouquets of flowers having been delivered, I thought that we all might enjoy the language of flowers so that we can decipher just what those flowers you received or gave mean. So let's start with the super sweet and romantic ones. A bouquet of yellow pansies means thinking of you. Daisies mean I love you truly. And apple blossoms mean I prefer you above all. Now let's up the ante a bit. Red tulips mean I declare my love. And red carnations mean my heart aches for you. Honeysuckle is devoted affection. Now let me throw you for a loop. The wild rose means pleasure and pain and the poppy means I am not free, and the cornflower means be gentle with me, and finally, my personal favorite, the white rose means I cannot, 
which is probably a tortured, I cannot be with you, but I read it, read it in 2020 terms as like, I literally can't even. Flowers have had a symbolic power since the beginning of time, but being used in this way, a way to communicate how you feel in such a detailed way, became super popular in the Victorian times, and many homes had books that explained what every flower meant so that people could decipher the message. It wasn't just the flowers themselves, though. It was how they were handed to you, with the right hand versus the left hand, and which way the ribbon was tied. There was a sentiment attached to every type of herb as well. Perhaps flowers and herbs were the emojis of the Victorian age. Wow. You know what? I, I bet some people are listening to this and thinking, ooh, what did I send to people? <laughs> yeah. Like after Valentine's Day, it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have sent those poppies. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Who knew, right? Like I, So they said, yes. aside from the Bible, like people had, this was like a must-have book in your house, was the flower decoder, I guess. <laughs> yes. And, and I love it. Like I, I kind of wish we did stuff like this. Didn't we talk at one point about the placement of stamps? Or was that a book? Oh, Oh, that was from the book, um, Last Christmas in Paris. They were Ooh. talking in the book how uh, when they would send correspondence during the war, where you placed your stamp on the envelope also means meant something. Oh my and goodness. And I just think we should revive some of these like secret like codes. Yes. I think it's so fun. It's that time of year again. Christians and Catholics around the world are preparing to enter into a period of fasting, praying, and almsgiving to draw closer to Christ as we approach the Easter Triduum. And we are actually so excited about digging into this topic today because Lent, believe it or not, is way more interesting than one might think. Right, Lindsay? Right. With our combined love of history, right, and mm -hmm. church history and just cultural things, like, we are just so into this type of thing about digging deeper and finding what people did in the past. And mm -hmm. we can't help but think and say to each other, why aren't we still doing this? Like, this is amazing. And not even just in a way that is fascinating, but we can understand the link between these outward signs and what's happening interiorly, right? It worked. Mm -hmm. These old practices worked. Um, this is also just you and I have been writing that hashtag from Kendra Tierney. That is the make Catholicism yes. weird again hashtag. Yes. And so we're all about that. So <laughs> that's what we're here today to do. So yeah. the, I think the first thing we should talk about is pre-Lent. Now, Michelle, do you know about mm. pre-Lent? I've only just started hearing about it like the last couple of years. So I don't know much about it at, at all, but I know that it comes with some very Latin-y titles and <laughs> <Yes>. phrases. <laughs> and I have been attending the traditional Latin mass now for seven and a half years, and I can now just now pronounce these Sundays as, as they're called. So there <laughs> okay. is like Septuagesima and Sexuagesima. Okay, there's a funny story about that one because it was just sexuagesima the, on the weekend. And my seven-year-old yes. was pointing to the bulletin to the word sex, to S-E-X. And he's like, Mom, what are we talking about today at church? In church? In church. And I said, it is the Latin word for six. And he's like, oh, okay, good. The relief was like palpable. Uh, 
And then uh, we go down to Kinkfoot Kajesima. Now, I also want to point out that my phone has finally recognized these words as legitimate words because I've typed them so much. <laughs> my phone basically recognizes Latin after all of these years. Wow, but yes. These are, according to the traditional Roman calendar, it is pre-Lent. Now, if you were to come into a traditional Latin mass during this time, you would already see that the liturgical color is purple. The priest is already wearing violet. And um, it is really a preparatory phase like by the time Lent hits you know how you and I were saying before and there's absolutely nothing wrong with this that the mm-hmm. process happens throughout Lent right we don't start day one like completely mm-hmm. good at Lent good at doing Lent you have to work out now this gives us these couple of weeks um leading up to to kind of prepare for that now this is where it gets a little bit confusing so these days um Septuagesima it means the 70th day before Easter Now, the Mm -hmm. other word for Lent is actually quadragesima, which is the 40th, right? The 40th days um, or the 40th day until Easter. So because it drops down by 10 days, if you're quick at math, you might be going, how can one Sunday to the next Sunday drop down 10 days? (laughs) Right? Math. Um, Right. I actually (laughs) don't want to get into that right now because it's a lot of math, but we will link everybody to a breakdown of that on the catholicherald.co.uk. They really explain that. Um, But what is important to know is that it really is a pre-Lent preparatory phase that I think is really important that the church is kind of, we just kind of all of a sudden jump into Lent, right? And it's really neat. And they do that culturally. If you recall our spring cleaning episode, we really went into how around the world, not even Catholic, there's a bunch of preparation that happens before people do things. And so, yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it's an interesting period. Right. And uh, actually, so I quoted Maria von Trapp uh, at the beginning of our episode today. And first of all, yes, it is that Maria von Trapp from The Sound of Music. (laughs) (laughs) She was a real person, which I still think after all this time is the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But in her book, when she talks about all the liturgical feasts and things, when she talks about this preparatory season before Lent, she makes the really good point that it's necessary because um, we're just coming off of the Christmas season. Yeah. Right? If you're celebrating Christmas all the way until Candlemas, which is February 2nd, then, you know, often, depending on when Lent falls, there's not a lot of time to go from that season of heavy feasting and celebration into the, like, stark penitential nature of Lent. And so the church, in her wisdom, kind of offers these three weeks where you're supposed to transition so, yeah. you know, if, if Lent is supposed to be a progress into perfection of self-mortification and suffering and entering into the passion of Christ, then the weeks before that are like a trans a transitionary time to, to switch gears. One of the other cool things we do during that period that happens on Septuagesima Sunday is we bury the word Alleluia. Have you ever done that with your kids? No, we've never actually done it, but I've I've read about it for the past few years and I I think that's so so interesting. Now here our ground is pretty frozen. Yes. <laughs> so well, last do you yeah. bury it? Okay. We do. The la- it depends on the weather. So yeah, we have it's our fourth year of doing it, but um the one year last year we actually decided to burn the word alleluia on the barbecue like <laughs> It was a very traumatic moment, actually. So the kids Canadians colored be it. Like. Right, right. <laughs> so we carried it out to the barbecue. It was dark out, and the kids had colored the word Alleluia, and um, Jason lit it on fire. And then a very kind priest pointed out that 
the whole point is digging it back up like on Easter morning and there was no reassembling those ashes. <laughs> sure. So oh, that's hilarious. Canadian yeah. Catholics, maybe if you have like a potted plant still or something, you could just bury it in there. But the reason okay. we do this, so we, the word Alleluia and, and the singing of the Gloria are both not done during Lent and because mm-hmm. we are not celebrating. And so we are also fasting from that pleasure at the mass of, of that, those right. celebratory exclamations. And so those don't happen again until Easter morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, do you know what? So we don't do it as a, as a parish. I don't remember doing it as a child in my childhood parish, but I do remember growing up, like it was a realization halfway through Lent at that time. I'm like, Hey, we go really fast in the, like from yes. the opening prayer of mass right into the first reading. Where is all that other stuff? Yeah. And it's only been now learning more and more about it that I'm like, Oh, that is intentional. Like that has a meaning. It's a thing. It is a thing. And kids love it. So there are, um, I think, catholicicing.com. There are places where you can actually print out where somebody's just designed the word Alleluia um, and print it like it's a coloring page so the kids can print it out. And then you just put it in a big Ziploc bag and bury it. And my mm. kids were almost more excited to dig up the Alleluia on Easter morning than they were for chocolate. So it's, it's a right. really great activity that you can do with your kids. Another thing that you can do with your kids is something called sacrifice beads. Have you ever heard of this? I have. Is this um, what one of the St. Teresa's did? Was it the <laughs> yes. little flower? <laughs> okay. Yes. And this one is of the Teresa's. Yeah. I have never heard of. So yeah, St. Therese, the little flower, um, used to do this. Now, apparently she was... Uh, how we, should we say spoiled little girl everybody knows her mm-hmm. nose she's a very sure. spirited child yes. and very spoiled by her parents because they had lost you know four children before her and, and and all those things so anyways she her mother commented on how she would be um very wild but then they'd see her little hand go in her pocket <laughs> and she would mm-hmm. do her little sacrifice beads and how sweet that was and I'm like well I need to know wow. about this so mm-hmm. it's like a decade of the rosary and today what it looks like because now we use a metal one of St. Therese's medals on one end and then the other end is a crucifix and you have to have it designed so that the beads don't slip and slide up and down it um, on their own. Mm. You need to be able to push one and it has to kind of stay where it's going to be. So then you put your 10 beads and then for children, they keep them in their pockets. And I mean, this is great for adults too, but this is a great thing for kids. And then every time they make a sacrifice or they do an act of charity or a good deed, they actually push one bead forward towards the crucifix, right? They're working towards Mm. the cross, but But if they do something not good or commit a little venial sin, they have to move one backwards. And it's an on-the-spot examination of conscience. And then at nighttime, you reset all the beads and the child can sit and talk with their parent about how they did that day. And they can tuck it under their pillow and then they just retrieve it again upon waking and they start new the next day. I love that because mm-hmm. it's it's one more example of like how the church is so holistic, yes. right? Like it's mind, body, and spirit. And it's the reason why we have like bells and incense during the liturgy. Well, one of the reasons, right? Yeah, because it engages yeah. our bodily human senses. And to have beads like that as a counter, especially for children, but also for adults, mm-hmm. because I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, I need that. I need it too. I <laughs> think I'm going to do spot. this. <laughs> yeah. I think I might, right? Um, I think it's just one one more way that it engages all of our senses. And so it kind of propels your whole person, body, mind, and spirit higher, like yes. towards God, towards the cross, like what you were saying and what these beads indicate. It's so real. It makes it so real. 
And that's what we should be doing, right? This is what Lent mm-hmm. is, is, is a period where you really step back and you see yourself for who you are right now. And you have to be really honest with yourself and say, this is where I need to grow. And it's about so much more than giving up chocolate right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's like a really big opportunity. These 40 days, a lot can happen in 40 days where you can transform yourself. Isn't it like how many days until you set a new habit? Is it 21 or 30? 20, 21. I think okay. The time, well, yeah. You almost have double that people. So there's yes. like this huge <laughs> chance here to transform your life. And that's what this should be. Um, one of my favorite go-to websites for all things traditional Catholic is fisheaters.com. And mm-hmm. when I was reading an article about Lent, they said that during this period, we should awaken every morning with these questions on our mind. How can I make amends for my sins? How can I serve God in a reparative way? And how can I serve others today? And wow. these are basically the three things of fast uh, of Lent too, right? The three pillars, which is mm-hmm. um, prayer and fasting and um, almsgiving. And right. so that kind of covers those three things. And when we look at how those three things have to work together, it can be hard to do this well. But that's mm-hmm. what we want to encourage everybody to do, to really have self, gain self-mastery, let's say, during this period. Right. And so it's, yeah, again, so, but so much more than just giving up an hour of TV. Um, Mm -hmm. you want to come out of this, a transformed person as you work towards Easter. Right. And like those things are fine, but it's, it is all about the intention behind it. Right. It is a change. It's meant to be a change of heart, a, a reversion of our hearts back to God and like all change, but especially I find change that goes against our human nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's so painful, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's maybe where the connotation and the connection between like Lent and suffering and pain and everything comes into view for many people, right? Is yeah. it's not about the the suffering per se. It, it's about what that suffering, that willing suffering is doing to change your heart and to soften you towards God and the love and mercy and sacrifice of Christ. That's absolutely right. Um, I'm very thankful that I have a very holy priest, Father Brendan McGrath. And in his homily for Septuagesima Sunday, he said, and I quote, we are called to celebrate the Paschal mysteries as the new man who has put on Christ and has put off the old ways of sin. And the only way to do that, though, is stern penances, not childish ones. But he goes on to explain that a poorly chosen penance can actually do more harm to our spiritual life than good, and that it is important that we choose our modes of penance with great care and prayerful discernment, and that we should consult a priest before taking on serious penance. So my uh, my priest and I have talked about this in the past, that if all of a sudden you're listening to this today, or you've been reading articles and you think, okay, this is it. It's going to be my most serious Lent ever. I have been this person <laughs> many times. And every year. It, right. Every year. And you pick like a whole bunch of things you're going to add and take away, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like Father McGrath points out, this can actually do so much more spiritual harm because you can completely unravel in that and end up in a worse place than you would have mm-hmm. been if you had just committed to doing a few smaller things. One of the things that I think even most non-Catholics would know about Catholics during Lent is the fish Fridays, right? The no meat mm, on Fridays. Yes. Now, I want to make clear, 
Um, to people who just simply don't know, because I think a lot of us will agree that we weren't really um, catechized as well in the last couple of generations as, as the generations previously. But mm. according to the latest code of canon law, which is 1983, it, it, this whole idea of abstaining from meat on Fridays was never actually done away with. And a lot of people mm. think it was. And we are not to eat meat on Fridays as Catholics throughout the entire year. Now, the change that happened is they relaxed it a little bit, allowing faithful Catholics to substitute something else um, in place of giving up meat. If they, if they were going out for dinner and they had to eat it, you know, they could make another sacrifice that day. That was new. Mm. That's what was ushered in. Um, but for the most part, we're really not supposed to be eating meat on Fridays throughout the entire year. So what I see then in this confusion and in the spirit of this confusion there's a lot of well-intentioned Catholics turning to the internet and to these Facebook groups as the weeks lead up to Lent going, oh my gosh, hit me with your best meat-free recipes because they're all scrambling to know what to eat on Fridays. Mm -hmm. And everybody starts sharing these delicious meat-free recipes. And I sit back and I'm like, no, we're, we're still missing the boat here because it needs to be sacrificial. I mean, even Pope Francis said that it should not be a seafood smorgasbord on Fridays. Mm. And so I just imploring myself and everybody listening that it's not a time to just fill ourselves up with delicious meat free food on Fridays. Yeah. Um, right. It's not like the delicious mm -hmm. fish and chips at a restaurant um, that it really does have to hurt a little bit. It has to be sacrificial. We right. give up flesh meat because the Lord gave up his flesh for us. Right. So mm -hmm. the least we could do is maybe just not have something delicious on Fridays. <laughs> You know what? This speaks probably to no one as more strongly than it's speaking to me right now because <laughs> like I love, <laughs> I love seafood. And actually I have had this thought like over the past um, couple of years now that we're doing like low carb eating, right? Yeah. So I've been upping my fats, but to me, like the, the keto style foods are delicious mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that has been helping me in my daily fasting. And I got to Lent one of these years and I was like, um, I don't know if like avocados and almonds and like walnuts and <laughs> brie cheese and everything. I'm like, this doesn't feel very penitential to me. Right. Right. <laughs> so I actually, I had that thought myself. Um, but you know, it's kind of speaks to the, uh, transformative power of what practicing our faith can do if we're really intensely focused about it as a group as a yeah. church yeah um the whole story of how the fish fillet the the <laughs> fish fillet burger came about at mcdonald's right yeah. like for people who don't know the history um essentially the McDonald's in, in an area, I forget where it was in the States, but they were noticing a huge decline in business on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. they realized that their very Catholic demographic were just abstaining from meat. They abstained from meat. And so the, the chain decided to implement the fish fillet burger, um, you know, for people to come in now, like, again, for me, I think that burger is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's actually yeah. still not penitential for That's me right. as well. Yeah. However, it's now a staple on the McDonald's menu. And it was because on mass, it was this very um, public practice of our devotions That's right. that changed a little, even a small, small part of culture. And it, I, I find that story to be so interesting and, and a real testament to what maybe could happen if we start reclaiming a lot of these practices in, in its sincerity and in, in genuine form. 
And rumor has it, I don't know if you've heard this before, but rumor has it that's how Roll Up the Rim with Tim Horton started as well. It's always around Lent. Really? Oh, and it they is noticed, too, yes. Yep. And they noticed a drop in coffee sales and treats and sugary things. And so they needed to drive business back. Um, so I, I have Googled that before. And I mean, nobody's going to come right out on their corporate board and say it's to win back Catholics. <laughs> but I have heard that through several sources. <laughs> right. So people do notice is what they I think we're trying to say. Like we are salt of the earth, truly. And still even today in our modern time, like we may think we have no influence over the culture and it can feel kind of desperate and hopeless at times. But I think even just these small examples are, are proof uh, of the fact that living our faith does not go unnoticed in our world even today. So another traditional, beautiful Lenten custom involves asking for forgiveness from our family family members. So it says that we should bow before each one individually and ask them to forgive us for past hurts and transgressions. Now, this must be done after an extensive examination of conscience. And I know actually we have said examination of conscience a lot of times in the podcast over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll do a whole episode on what that actually is. But I, exa- I implore you all to Google that and ask yourself the questions that are on a regular examination of conscience. So after you've done that, and you should have at that point, if you've, if you've done it well, a very contrite heart. Now, if done properly, this act of asking your family for forgiveness is actually a sacramental, Michelle. So it has the power to remit venial sins. Now, wow, yeah, this is huge. And again, I didn't know this. This is huge. So you should be doing this with your family before you go to confession with a priest, as we're all implored to go to confession at least once during Lent. Um, And there is proper wording for this. And the proper wording is, in the name of Christ, forgive me if I have offended you. And your family member will respond with, God will forgive you. How healing. Mm. Can you imagine And yes. how, if the whole world actually did that, right? And turned to everybody and said that. Uh, I think we just found the key to world peace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the reason why it doesn't exist, because yeah. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> it starts with us. Wow. There we go. Yeah. Do you know what? I love that the response, though, is that God will forgive you. Yes. It's hopeful, right? This Mm -hmm. isn't a time of despair. Yeah, it's a time of penance. It's a time of looking inward and looking at all the things we've done wrong. And you and I have never shied away from saying that that's really important. And it is about heroic acts of virtue. This is not a time to just be idle. Like this is like we were saying earlier, the word mastery. This is Mm -hmm. a time where if you look at yourself and go, yeah. I need to do better. I need to be better. Hashtag be better 2020. Right. Modern Lady Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a great chance to grow in self-mastery. Mm-hmm. And it was like that Jocko Willink post, right? As mm-hmm. long as we're throwing in all our past episodes here. <laughs> yeah. <when> he, <laughs> he talked about like there's no resting on your laurels. Yeah. Right. If you have made great strides in holiness, then that is amazing. Um but don't stop there. That's right. You know, like how much more holy can you become and what what even greater impact can that have on uh, your family and the community and the world around you? Like that is always 
supposed to be the the momentum is going forward always never standing still always moving forward which is Mm -hmm. why the church goes in these liturgical seasons right it gives us a chance every year (laughs) to try it again as long as god keeps us alive we have this chance every year it doesn't just do one lent in your life and so Mm -hmm. you just have this chance to build on each year you look back at last year and go man okay i didn't do well at these things um so this year i'm going to continue on this journey to self-mastery One of the other traditions that I think is really neat, and again, I've never heard this before, is praying the seven penitential psalms, which are Psalms 6, Mm. 31, 37, 50, 101, 129, and 142. The most traditional thing would be to pray all of these every day during Lent. That's what people would have done. But if time is an issue, you can pray them on just the Fridays of Lent and Again, the church is so fantastic in her wisdom. There happens to be seven of those, and there are seven Fridays in Lent. (laughs) So you could just pray and meditate on one each um, Friday in Lent. Um, These psalms include the Miserere and de Profundus, um, and those are the perfect expressions of contrition and the prayers for mercy. So apt, and this is now a quote from fisheaters.com, so apt are these psalms at expressing contrition that as he lay dying in AD 430, St. Augustine asked that a monk write them in large letters near his bed so he could easily read them. Wow. And we forget sometimes, um, you know, as Catholics, our liturgy and our prayers are already so steeped in scripture Yeah, that I find for myself anyways, I almost take it for granted that like these are, um, these weren't just written after like at some point in history right yeah. um like they're actually biblical yeah and they the are. bible <laughs> the bible is uh as the word of god is so well it's a sword isn't the yeah. isn't it in saint paul describes it as the word of god is a sword yep um it, because it truly does like it pierces us right to our hearts and it, again if lent is this change of heart this transforming of our hearts uh, what better way to get right in there <laughs> yeah. than the sword to pierce us right there and to read words, especially of contrition and of deep sorrow over how how far we've fallen from what God ever intended us to be and our relationship with him. Um, that's still deeply, deeply moving and truly probably where we should start <laughs> right. in our Lenten practices, probably. Now, there is one other way to a person's heart, Michelle. What? Beer and pretzels. Oh, I have beer in mine too. <laughs> okay. So do you yes. want to start with the beer and share with our sure. lovely listeners how beer can help them during Lent? That's right. Yes. Well, you know what? Um, as I was doing research for our episodes, I was going through my bookshelf and I was pulling all the books that I thought would have something about Lent. And I saw my, um, my copy of Drinking with the Saints. It's a book written by Michael Foley. And I thought, eh, surely there wouldn't be a section on Lent in a book about cocktails for the liturgical year. But I thought I would just humor Michael Foley anyways. And sure (laughs) enough, there's a section on Lent. (laughs) And so uh, it is a short section, I will say. Uh, But it talks about beer and Lent and the beer fasts during the Middle Ages. And they're saying that beer, because it was such an important source of nutrition, and it was actually even a way of purifying the water at that time. Yep. 
is that they, the monks at that time in particular would perfect this strong lager called bock. And they would survive Lent just drinking this uh, bock or doppelbock. I guess they're German. <laughs> they're German monks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they would survive all of Lent on this doppelbock and water. And it, it was rich enough in carbohydrates and calories and vitamins to sustain them. But... Uh, you know, there was a home brewer in the year 2011. So this is very recent history. We're jumping many centuries here. Uh, he tested this theory and he did this beer fast. He, he's a non-denominational Christian, which I also find very interesting too. <laughs> uh, and he did it all 46 days of Lent. So that's all 40, including the Sundays. And he said, he he was quoted as saying that, you know, he found the fast really did help him gain valuable spiritual lessons. Uh, he described it as a really long overdue tune-up and a detox and that he hadn't he never felt so rejuvenated physically or mentally. And so um, you think about the monks during those middle ages and all of them would do some variation, but especially I guess the German monks adding the beer in the strong lager um, as a means to get their nutrition so that they could forego actual food. Uh, and just the level of sacrifice is, is incredible. I was really blown away by this. I never knew this before. Before we jump into pretzels, you mentioned the 46 days of Lent. And one of the things that I want to clear up, because this is something I kept seeing so many different articles about um, over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, um, in my effort to like rock Lent, right? And do like do the most serious <laughs> Lent ever. I was like, what am I supposed to do on Sundays? Because some people, right. like if we're looking like at the old traditions, which I am drawn to, um, are like, nope, you go straight through, you know, it's really serious. You don't break your Lenten fasts on Sundays. Um, so we were trying that for a bit. And then um, I conferred with my priest this morning and he sent me documents from the Vatican. And no, Sunday is always a feast day. It is always. Oh, we can indulge okay. on a Sunday. Now, I do think, honestly, during Lent, if you want to have a little bit of dessert with your family dinner, like do it. Maybe don't have three pieces of cake. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, because I feel what starts to happen, and this is what I found with myself in the past with the Sundays, is I would start looking towards Sunday, like mm. and start fantas actually fantasizing. I'm not exaggerating here <laughs> about like what I could indulge in all on that Sunday meal. And I mean, that's right. not the right spirit either of Lent. So right. I think that just so everybody is aware, you are freed from your Lenten fasting and um, whatever you've decided to give up, you can have a little bit on on Sundays, according to the Vatican. Um, but again, be be um, prudent about that. Now, back to treats. Let's talk about pretzels, which are actually okay. <laughs> a Lenten food. Um, oh, my goodness. Amazing. So, right. Um, so pretzels. Uh, this is also from fisheaters.com, and I'll just read it to you. It says, the fasting of this time once even precluded the eating of eggs and fats. So the chewy pretzel became the bread and symbol of the times because it doesn't need eggs or fat. Um, mm. They had always been Christian food ever since Roman times. Their very shape being the creation of monks who created that shape. The three holes represent the Holy Trinity, and the twists of the dough represent the arms of someone praying. In fact, the word pretzel is German, back to those Germans. It's a word derived from the Latin word. Okay, here comes my Latin. And I, <laughs> this is when we don't say it mass. So I, I did German. Okay, I did German. Right, you okay. do Latin. Okay. Bracelet. 
and that means little arms. The Vatican has the oldest known representation of a pretzel found on a 5th century manuscript, and we will post a link in our show notes to a good pretzel recipe. Yeah, that's so interesting because... Uh, when you were saying like you weren't even allowed the the eggs and the fat, right? Mm-hmm. That is also why we have Pancake Tuesday. Ah, uh, yes, it? <laughs> yes, it is. I had to explain that to my my uh, daughter this year. She's starting to get older, like she's making her first communion, and she was asking, "When are we going out to buy all the fun toppings?" Mm-hmm. for Pancake Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I just kind of laughed, and I was like, you know, actually, it was meant to use things up before yeah. Lent. And you don't go buy new things for Pancake Tuesday, although I do because I have a poorly stocked pantry. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just uh, like everything is connected and tied together. So as a means to use up all the things that would perish without fridges back in the yeah. day, um, pancakes were an easy, quick way to use up mass quantities of all these uh, dairy products and eggs and you know, delicious things before they had to go to beer and pretzels. And <laughs> so this, so this is right. And and so some of you might not know, because honestly, I didn't know for years that Mardi Gras literally means Fat Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. So same, mm-hmm. th- same thing here. They would celebrate, they'd make cakes, they would eat up all the fat, fattening stuff. And Carnivale, Carnival um, in Rio and other places in the world, same that actually is about meat. That's where they eat carne. That's where they finish the meat as oh. well. And so okay. one year we took it seriously in my house and I did Fat Tuesday with the kids. And I literally said, let's eat all the junk. <laughs> okay, so by noon, <laughs> my kids were rolling with stomach aches and going, too much Fat Tuesday, too much Fat <laughs> Tuesday. I never thought my kids would hit their sugar limit, but I did it. We did it. You did it. Yeah. It's like it's penitential in a whole new way, right? (laughs) Wow. Okay. So maybe, oh my gosh, just tying full circle here to the beginning of the episode, that preparatory season before Lent. Right. um, Maybe let's spread out the consuming of junk food and fats and (laughs) three weeks before Lent begins. (laughs) So whatever you decide to do for Lent, do so prayerfully and again, maybe under the direction of a spiritual director or your priest. But the one last thing I want you to consider is whatever you're giving up, think long and hard about if it's something you should take back up once Easter comes. I saw this referenced by a lot of priests in my research where they would ask, you know, teenagers what they were giving up. And a lot of them would say swearing. And then they're like, so you're just going to resume then with the F-bombs come Easter dinner? Like, Mm. you know, and so that happened to us a couple years ago, actually talking about TV shows, right? And you and I did that whole episode on entertainment where we gave up a few things during Lent. And then I'm like, um, it doesn't seem right then to just start doing, taking it back up after Lent. So it's not just being transformed until Easter Sunday, and then we go back to being who we are. Again, it's about a period of growth where every Lent that happens should bring us further and further from who we were and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? A few people have been following me along on a journey about chocolate chip cookies for many, many years. I post about this regularly on Facebook that I don't know how to make chocolate chip cookies. I have made 200 different recipes and they all turn out weird, but yet the same, yet not edible or they don't have a taste. It's very odd, Michelle. And I've had friends who make really good chocolate chip cookies come to my home and make them with me. And then they still turn out weird. And they're like, well, I don't know what happened. 
It got to the point where my children told me they wouldn't give me grandbabies until I knew how to make chocolate chip cookies. And so I'm here to share with everybody that it happened. I made the perfect chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm so happy for you. Okay. And I will share the recipe. It is the Williams Sonoma um, chocolate chip cookie recipe. But what made them so perfect was... um, Jason, Jason, by accident, grabbed the mini chocolate chips. And I was like, those aren't the real chocolate chips. I need them. But his little accident turned out, they made them amazing because they kind of melted in layers. And then I did some milk chocolate, some semi-sweet and some of the peanut butter chips, you know, like the Reese peanut butter Mm. chips. And Mm -hmm. then the key, Michelle, and I've heard this before, you have to bang that cookie sheet halfway through baking. Do you know about that? No. So you actually have to put your hand inside the oven and bang it on the shelf, like the oven rack or take it out and bang it. And when you bang it, it releases all that air. And then you get that flatter yet not crispy cookie where the chocolate is all on the top. It just makes for the perfect texture. So I I know we just talked about fasting and sacrifice and all of those things. (laughs) But y'all, if you're going to do a Mardi Gras, uh, Mardi Gras celebration, you've got to make these cookies right before you slip into Lent. Right. Yeah. And you know, as you're talking about Jason buying um, the mini chocolate chips yeah. instead of the real chocolate chips, <laughs> yeah. I just kept thinking, God works um, <laughs> for his good. He, he takes knew. even he the mistakes and yeah. he works them for his good, ultimately. <laughs> what a Lenty episode. Yeah. <laughs> So what have you been loving this week? Well, um, I have been listening and really enjoying the latest episode of the Bible Binge podcast, which I know I've recommended before, but they they have released a few seasons since I recommended them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last season, actually, I, I enjoyed as well. It was um, Weird Things God Made People Do. So. <laughs> like buy many chocolate chips. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, that was the bonus episode. Uh, and this season, they are doing a, like a serial on the story of Esther. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very interesting. For one thing, now I can pronounce King Xerxes, Excellent. which I never could before. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, just it, I just love this podcast because even if you don't get their sense of humor, which I happen to, but if you don't, the historical context is so interesting. They do a lot of really good research. They're not Catholic, but I find that like history often is history. (laughs) And to just learn about the cultural practices and sometimes in the Bible, you know, the writers of the Bible would have been writing for the people of their time. And so they sometimes take for granted that we don't know why certain things are significant. (laughs) And reading... Yeah, and reading the book uh, of Esther, or really a lot of stories in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, I really find that this podcast does it in a, an entertaining way and a humorous way. And I'm uh, about three episodes in, but so far so good. So again, that's the Bible binge, and currently we're working through the book of Esther. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. And if you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Hellmaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.